1-800-306-8650. Worthy, where did it come from? What's the Mormon thing on it? Does the Bible condone it? You've heard about the Reagan Texas. What about the polygamists in our own backyard? Hi, I'm Doris Hansen. I was born and raised in a thriving polygamous community here in Salt Lake City. Join me as we discuss these and many of your questions about this controversial subject each week on our call-in program, Polygamy, What Love Is This? Every Thursday at 8 p.m. here on TV20, KPMW, Salt Lake City. I went out walking through streets paved with gold. Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch the show on television here, they can go streaming video, www.hotm.tv. They can watch the show live from anywhere in the world. You can also watch any of the archive shows, over 135 of them, uh, online for free anytime you want. AM 820, The Truth. Listen to the Heart of the Matter every Tuesday night from 8 to 9 p.m., same time as the show, uh, AM 820, The Truth. It's a 50,000-watt AM station, very powerful, but they have great programming, uh, fantastic, uh, well-known uh, speakers, except for me, but uh, otherwise, they have the cream of the crop, and it's for people who are seeking truth, Christians seeking to know the word a little bit better. That's AM 820, The Truth. <coughs> Christian Assemblies meeting to prayerfully understand Scripture. That's Calvary Campus at the University of Utah Sunday mornings from 9.15 to 10.15 a.m. and then Sunday evenings from 7 to 8 p.m. Then at Weber State in Ogden and Utah State in Logan Sunday evenings also from 7 to 8 p.m. Come and join us. We gather together, we pray, we worship the Lord, and we study the Bible verse by verse. We're almost uh, through the book of Matthew, and we'll be done with that by the end of the year. And then we're going to pick up and go through the book of John. Everybody, everybody is welcome. What else are you doing? Why not come and learn about the Bible? Go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information, including times, directions, building numbers, things like that. I was a born-again Mormon moving toward Christian authenticity, available throughout the valley, throughout the core of Utah, utlm.org, and in their bookstore itself, Oasis Books in Logan, Christian Gift and Bible in Sandy, New Life Books in Layton, Sam Weller's Downtown, Salt Lake City Calvary Chapel, Lifeway Books in Murray, Dolly's Books in Park City, 
Gift of Grace Bible in Springville and at www.bornagainmormon.com. <clears throat> the book talks about sin. It talks about Jesus. It talks about who I was and where I came from. And then it gives you a rehearsal of the basics of Mormon doctrine in a straightforward but non-attacking manner. I do all my attacking here on the show, sort of. Uh, <clears throat> if you are a night owl tonight at 11.30 here on KTMW TV 20, you can watch a second interview I did back east with The Harvest Show, 11.30 p.m. tonight here on this channel. Channel, how are you doing on Project Abandoned Ship? We've received dozens and dozens of emails from uh, people who are LDS who have proactively asked the LDS church to take their name off the records of the church. Nobody is reporting lightning strikes, dearth of blessings, curse upon the family, mark of Cain. Uh, in fact, it's quite the opposite. All have reported a great sense of relief a giant load taken off their back, these are quotes, and a peace that comes with trusting Jesus completely. Send a message loud and clear, my friends. Abandon ship now. Cause them up in those towers to say, what is going on? What are we doing wrong? For more information about how to do this, go to utlm.org or bornagainmormon.org. This past week, the LDS Church held their semi-annual general conference. We will do a complete review of the conference highlights next week right here on Heart of the Matter. But I've received no small amount of feedback on a talk given by one Lawrence E. Colbridge of the Quorum of the Seventy about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Christians are responding to this talk, hopefully, suggesting the talk was incredibly focused on Jesus Christ and that it may represent the LDS Church coming to the light of truth relative to salvation. The LDS are writing me and telling me the talk is just one more evidence that proves Mormonism is Christian and I should sit up and take note. I didn't hear or read the talk yet, but let's say that it's as good and as on target as everyone is suggesting. My first response would be, praise God. Paul wrote to the Philippians in 1, 15 through 18. Listen to what he said. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Isn't that awesome? It doesn't matter what the motive is of the, of the people speaking or teaching. If they're teaching Christ and they're teaching him biblically, praise God. Christ is being taught. Anytime the living God is taught, it is a great thing. Who can say when, where, and how somebody will receive him? But my second response is just as viable as it takes content and setting of the message into account. I've had people tell me in the, over the past years that they were saved while sitting completely drunk out of their skull, listening to another drunk stammer through the gospel message, and at that point it changed their life forever. To this I would say, praise God that it happened that way. But it doesn't mean that the saved individual can, should continue to stay drunk or go to the bar for church. Uh, 
the question I have to the gleeful responses of this speech are how many other talks were given at the general conference and what was their subject matter? Did they talk about salvation by grace? Did they talk about the Bible as God's infallible word, about the cross, about God being uncreated and the creator of all things? Did they talk about the Trinity? I can tell you right now without having listened to one word of the conference that Jesus was not the center of the event. The church was the center of the event. I look forward to the day when everything said at the LDS General Conference is biblical and leads people to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And with that hope, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this station, for the valuable airtime, for the people who assist in doing things to get the show going and on the air. We pray for them, those who are volunteering. We pray for the audience here and the audience out there all over that may be listening or tuning in. We pray that your spirit will be there and be with me to say what you want me to say in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> if you are LDS, and even if you're not, I want you to seriously search your heart right now. Just sit here for a second and ask yourself this question, truly. What is it I will take with me to the Lord when I die, that will justify my receiving eternal life. Go on and just ask yourself that question. Close your eyes and ask yourself what you're going to carry with you before the throne of God, as it were, that he will look upon and say, come in and join this heavenly place that I have prepared before the foundation of the world for you. On Sunday morning, I drove up North Temple here in Salt Lake City to get to the University of Utah to present the morning message. The weather alternated between drizzle and rain, and I watched hundreds, if not thousands, of well-dressed, clean-cut, handsome people rush toward the magnificent granite conference center of the Mormon church. I have to admit, the sight is impressive. And if I didn't know better, I am sure I would have been impressed enough to investigate the religion more for me and or my family. As the suits and ties and modest but pretty dresses flashed in front of my waiting car, I couldn't help but notice a smallish sort of man in a green uh, 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 poncho standing in the rain with a small cardboard sign in one hand and a stack of papers in another. The sign was damp and it read, Have you been saved by Jesus Christ? The masses passed by him almost without notice, save the occasional and confident smirk and nudge by typically fast-walking priesthood holders who would glance at him and laugh. I thought about this man throughout the day. I understood his cardboard question. I resonated to his drive to stand out in the rain and get passed by without notice. I mean, here he was, a smallish guy standing in the rain with the most recognized Utah landmark at his back, Temple Square, and facing a swarm of people who filed in like drones to the granite beehive of enormous political and religious power. The man stood alone against billions upon billions of dollars of financial strength. He stood in front of great political genius, 
Legal eagles, educators, business people, doctors, and captains of industry passed him by, all passing him by and his question without seemingly to have given it a single thought. They were going inside to sit at the feet of accomplished men and women who will tell them that their religion, this powerful, wealthy, religiously, politically motivated religion, possesses all the religious truth on earth and that they must give this religion their total and full allegiance in order to save themselves and, and to save the world. Sound hyperbolic? On July 3rd of 1999, Church News, page 3, the late LDS prophet and president of the church, Gordon B. Hinckley, said, and I quote, Our message is so imperative that when you stop to think about the salvation, the eternal salvation of the world, it rests upon the shoulders of this church. When all is said and done, if the world is going to be saved, we have to do it. There is no escaping from that. No other people in the history of the world have received the kind of mandate we have received. We are responsible for all who have lived upon the earth, and that involves our missionary work, and we will be responsible for all who will yet live upon the earth, end quote. Earnestly rushing into the conference center were thousands of people bent on saving themselves and saving the world. And outside, one man in the rain with a wet cardboard sign was asking silently, Have you been saved by Jesus Christ? What do the LDS have that the seemingly odd and simple man was missing? Point blank, Joseph Smith. It can be safely said that all of Mormonism is built upon the foundation that he laid. It can be even said that to the LDS, salvation is impossible without Joseph Smith. What? You think I'm not telling the truth? You're LDS and you don't believe that at all? The blogs and the public relations uh, rhetoric is out there saying that is not true, that is not true, that is not true. Do you believe Brigham Young? Not completely? Okay. How about Joseph Fielding Smith or Apostle George Q. Cannon? How about Joseph Smith himself? The prophet Joseph Fielding Smith said, quote, There is no salvation without accepting Joseph Smith. If Joseph Smith was barely a prophet and if he told the truth, no man can reject that testimony without incurring the most dreadful consequences, for he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's in Doctrines of Salvation, Doctrines of Salvation Volume 1, page 190. Apostle George Q. Cannon, as quoted in the 1988 Melchizedek Priesthood Study Guide, page 142, said, quote, If we get our salvation... We shall have to pass by him, meaning Joseph Smith. If we enter into our glory, it will be through the authority he has received. We cannot get around him, meaning Joseph Smith, end quote. The prophet and president Brigham Young said in Journal of Discourses, volume 7, page 289, quote, No man or woman in this dispensation will ever enter into the celestial kingdom of God without the consent of of Joseph Smith. Every man and woman must have the certificate of Joseph Smith Jr. 
as a passport to their entrance into the mansion where God and Christ are, end quote. In the foundations of the church, in that concrete, all around Temple Square, is a teaching embedded in that concrete that supports this institution that says salvation is not possible without Joseph Smith. The LDS Church is built upon the foundation of Joseph Smith, that what he laid. But even Joseph is not enough. In a study manual used by Sunday schools published by the LDS Church, it reads on page 146, <clears throat> Latter-day Saints plate great place great emphasis on the responsibility of the individual in the attainment of his own salvation. Man is not saved by grace alone. This is our earnest belief. It robs God of nothing precious. He and the Son are eagerly striving to lead, teach, persuade, and inspire man to help him gain eternal life. But we too must play our part, assume our responsibility. It is a law of life which we see operative everywhere in nature and education, in human relations, even as in religion. This interdependence of deity and man in salvation is expressed in our third article of faith. We believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. It should also include, and by a belief, in the prophet Joseph Smith. I remember when I was very young, there is a radio preacher that I used to listen to, a very young Christian, uh, named Vernon McGee. And one afternoon I was listening to him and he said something that irritated me at the time because I didn't understand it. And now I hold it as entirely precious. He said, in effect, why, when I stand before God Almighty, he may ask me some kind of questions for all I know. Why, he just may say something like Vernon. What do you have to offer me? What have you done to earn your place in my kingdom? And I'll say, why, Lord, I've done nothing. I've done nothing. I've got nothing. I'm not worth nothing. I have nothing to offer you. And then he said something to the effect that he would say, Lord, I have nothing but my faith in you. Why, I've trusted you in your promises completely, totally, Lord. This is what you told me I was supposed to do. I have nothing else to offer. Was it enough, Lord? And then Vernon J. McGee said, and I think I'll hear the Lord say, oh, Vernon, it's more than enough. You see, the Bible is clear, clear that what is required for salvation and who and what it is that saves this world. First, we know that we can't do anything to please God but by our faith. Hebrews eleven six. but without faith it is impossible to please him. In the Gospel of John, the disciples come to Jesus and ask, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that ye believe on him who he hath sent. I'm curious, in the LDS General Conference, did the apostles, did the general authorities read Romans? Did they read Galatians, Ephesians, 2 Timothy at their, from their pulpit to inspire the saints? Did they read Ephesians 2, 8 through 9? For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
or Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Did they expound in general conference upon Romans 3.28? Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And Vernon McGee would have hit his Bible too. Or did they reassure people with 2 Timothy 1.9? which says that God saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and his own grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. These verses are not taken out of context. They are what caused the man to stand in the rain and hold up the sign and give a track to anybody who would listen. They're what brings me and all the people behind this show to do it every single week. They're what caused millions of people, the world over billions in fact, to relinquish their lives over to him and him alone who grants all life and all hope. I received an email this morning which I have to read in total. I have never read an entire email on the show unless it was entirely short. But in this email, <clears throat> I have to read it. It's a must. Before I do, let's open up the phone line so you can start calling 801-973-8820, 801 973 TV20. This is from Mike M. Hi, Sean. My good friends Tom and Ellen are Mormon. I am a Christian, and three months ago I began a journey which has led me to a place I didn't think I would be. Three months ago I knew very little about Mormonism. I knew that Mormons seemed like they were really good people, but my Christians' friends would not talk about Mormonism without using the word cult. The incongruity between the goodness of their lives and my Christian friends' opinions of their faith interested me, and so I began a dialogue with Tom to try and understand what he believed. Soon after, I began looking for resources to help my investigation. I began reading the Book of Mormon. I logged onto farms. I checked out ConcernedChristians.com and I discovered your show. So far, I have downloaded all the episodes and have watched 115 hours of your show in the past three months. This past weekend, I went to the General Conference Priesthood meeting with Tom. It was a very powerful experience for me. Let me tell you why. Over the past two weeks, I had been discussing with him the idea that his salvation was based on works. Tom was upset by my opinion and tried to repeatedly deny this idea. I showed him many things that I thought was, were clear, but at the end of the week, the end of last week, we were coming to a standstill in our discussion with neither side making any progress in convincing the other of the truth of their argument. I had agreed a week ago to attend priesthood with him. On Saturday night, I, first, I heard firsthand from Elder Richard G. Scott, Elder J. E. Jensen, Elder James J. Hamula, President Dieter F. Uchtdorf, President Henry B. Eyring, and finally President Thomas S. Monson. Every one of them touched on the fact that if you are LDS, there are numerous things that you have to do in order to be saved. They repeat over and over that without these things you have to do, you will not be with Heavenly Father. Afterwards, my friend Tom said that now there was no way he could say his faith wasn't based on works. 
You see, it was easy for him to deny this idea when it came from anti-Mormon sources, but it was impossible for him to deny seeing the actual leaders say the things I was accusing them of. I don't know if my friend was initially lying to me or just didn't realize what he believed. But it is, my clear, it is clear now that he believes in a faith that says he has to earn his righteousness by his own efforts. The most powerful thing happened in the middle of the meeting. Halfway through, everyone stood and sang the hymn, Praise to the Man. I couldn't believe that they still sing it. I initially was a bit disgusted that they were singing a song of worship in a church service to Joseph Smith. But the more I thought about it, the sadder I got. The second half of the meeting, I was holding back tears. At the beginning of the meeting, as we were sitting down, Tom leaned over and told me that he thought I was going to feel the spirit when I was listening to the speakers, and boy did I. The spirit led me to tears of sadness that all of these men were gathered to worship Joseph Smith that all of these men were following half-truths, and all of these men were so burdened down by everything that they had been told they had to do. There was a collective weight being placed on the shoulders of these men, and it made me feel so sad. Salvation is a gift. I know it is because I accepted it. And when you are born again, that weight is lifted from your shoulders. In Jesus, there is freedom. I was convinced more than ever I need to continue to pray and continue to dialogue with my friend Tom. I now feel a renewed sense of purpose to seek out Mormons and a witness to them. Thanks for your show and your ministry. It has helped me learn more about Mormonism and give me the tools to understand how Mormonism and Christianity differ even when Mormons deny it. I don't recommend to all Christian men that they go to a Mormon priesthood meeting. It was pretty intimidating to be among so many Mormon men, but I would do it again in a second. Mike M. from Lompoc, California. In the book of Romans, Paul teaches a principle that is frankly revolutionary. Essentially, he says that if you are in the employment of somebody, if you are working for somebody, and they are responsible for paying you the agreed upon wage once your work is completed, they are in your debt until that wage has been paid. If you've done the work, they are in your debt. He teaches that we are not paid by grace, but of debt when we try to work and earn our salvation. The point being is we cannot put God in our debt. If you are working for your salvation, you are in essence putting God in the debt to pay you or reward you for the works that he empowered you to do in the first place. You cannot mix grace and, and, and. It can't be grace and your efforts. It can't be grace and Joseph Smith. It can't be grace and anything else. Grace is a gift. It is God's gift, free gift, paid at Christ's expense. And when you start mixing in things with the idea that you are saving yourself, you are actually putting God in your debt and he doesn't work that way. It's our prayer that when you ask yourself, what is it I will take to the Lord when I die that will justify my receiving eternal life, that your response will be, all I have, all I have had, all I left this earth with was faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's the only thing that will matter. We have two calls. How long till we go to a break? Uh, Leroy from Orem and Eddie, one minute. I'm not going to do it justice, so let me repeat a couple things. If you want information on how to take your name off abandoned ship, go to www.bornagainmormon.com. If you want information about our Sunday services, which are not to supplant a church if you're attending one, you're always welcome if you attend a church, but it's to help you understand the Bible. We have morning services and evening services. Uh, CalvaryCampus.com. Go to those. Uh, go to that site, and you can learn all about where the services are, what buildings, and what time. And uh, I think that's it. So we have 30 seconds. I'm stuck. Leroy. Yes. What's your uh, Just ask your question, and I'm going to put you on hold and come back to you after the break. Okay. What's your question? Okay. Uh, I, I got a comment. Oh, the question, I got a question and a comment. Right, the question is, in uh, the LDS, and you're married in the temple, the LDS used Matthew, I think, 16, 18, what is still uh, in heaven is Look still... up, wait, hold on, Leroy, we're going to a break. I'll get back to you in a second. Matthew 16, 18. All right, we're back, and Leroy is online, too, had a question. Leroy, you're back on the air. Go ahead and give it to us again. Okay, I think it's Matthew 16, 18. Uh, what is sealed, you know, what is sealed on heaven, it will be sealed, and what is loose will be loosened. Can you tell me what that means uh, to you? Well, to me, and I think I speak for uh, general Christianity, um, it was talking to the apostles. And they were going to take the Lord's church and they were going to share the message and build it up. And he was telling them, what you do here, you're going to be led by the Holy Spirit. And what you do on earth is going to be sealed in heaven. Heaven is going to agree with it because you're going to be led by the Holy Spirit. Go forth in power and do your work. I, and my thoughts relative to Mormonism is Joseph took that and he applied it to the, the erroneous concept of eternal marriage. Okay, uh, that's what I was thinking. I got a I got a, a comment at conference real quick. Yeah. In conference, they they were they were really mad at the government. Why would the government be mad? We had a big flag in 1890. Uh, we we are law-abiding citizens. Well, in 1834, the Articles of Faith. I think the 12th Article of Faith says we believe in obeying all rulers, kings, dictators. And in those days, you were not supposed to practice polygamy, and they broke that law for how many years, I don't know, and that's why they didn't want them to become a state, make it their conference. Why are they picking on us? Uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe. That conference were full of lies, I believe. 
Well, well, we're going to review it next week, Leroy. I appreciate the call. Okay. And I like your summary of, why are they picking on us? I'm sure they said that from that grand pulpit. Yeah, one thing, I, I, I was in an interview with you. My cousin Don gave you a funny handshake, and I was next with you. Whatever happened to those uh, that TV thing? That you know, it's taken a lot of editorial work. We're someday going to get those on there, but it's, you know, we're a very small ministry, and we're working on getting those edited. Oh, okay. Like is getting that, your friend's handshake out of it. Or just going to have it uh, around the United States, Latter-day Saints, uh, ex-Latter-day Saints, oh. I think. All right, man. Thanks for the call, Leroy. Uh, all right. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Ray in Provo, first-time caller. Ray, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi there, Sean. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you? That's great. I wanted to, um, you know, basically agree with a lot of what you're saying, but I think that I have to... I have to challenge you on a, on a very important note here. Um, you know, one of the scariest parts in the... Uh, well, let me get a premise from you first of all. Do you consider the Old Testament to be very important? Very important. Very Do you consider important. the epistles to be a little bit more important? Uh, the Word of God is the Word of God. You don't consider the uh, perhaps the Gospels to be the most important? No, I don't put anything more important than anything else. You don't, you don't have a hierarchy of, um, in other words... Hierarchy of books? <laughs> let me tell you where I'm coming from. When I read the Gospels, it seems to me that I'm reading the, the Word straight from God's lips. Uh-huh. When I read the Epistles, I'm reading kind of like in the Old Testament, you're kind of getting the take of, of man. Yeah. I'm kind of getting a feeling that, um, you know, perhaps the Gospel for me is the highest order the four gospels i, I just uh, that's an aside by the way yeah um but here's the big question of it all um I, I think it's in matthew and i'm trying to jog my memory here uh jesus goes on to say what you did what you did to the least of these you did it to me when when i was in jail when i was hungry when i was naked when i was thirsty when i you, when he goes on to say all these things what uh, the good samaritan in other words it's what we do sometimes with our faith yeah and it's not just our faith alone without what manifestation with, of our faith is what's really important without question that's true and that's why we also that's why i hold the book of james equal with the gospels and with the other epistles of paul but uh it, there there's an order to that you know faith without works is dead james is talking about faith and so faith has got to precede the works. And when you have that faith, that saving faith, and, and God changes you, and then he motivates you, then the works will follow. But the reverse don't work. You can't work yourself into a place where you then are worthy to receive the faith. If that were true, you wouldn't have any need of Jesus. God would have just sent us down here and said, hey, listen, work it out. Work, work, work. Fix it, fix it, fix it. And pretty soon you're going to be worthy to then be saved. And then, well, you know, what do we need Jesus for? We've gotten ourselves at the place where, where we're worthy. So it, uh, it, I'm going to be devil's advocate here for a second, He doesn't Sean. need one, but go ahead. Who, who are you or, or anybody else on this planet able to judge the Mormons and say faith came first or works came first in their hearts and minds? Well, hearts and minds, you're right, and I don't say that. I have never said I know individual Mormons and their status with God, but Mormonism... I think I could defend tooth and nail on exactly the way they, they lay things out. It's, it's, uh, and it is do until you are, uh, do when you start, 
do when you're in the middle of it and do until you're finished. And this is going to prove your salvation uh, meritorious and it's not right. It's doctrinal. I mean, if you listen to tonight's show, you could have heard the quotes I was reading from that, from that gospel manual. You know, we believe that we are earning our salvation. So it's maybe in the individual Mormon's case, I can't tell you. But from the Mormonism, that's what we fight against. Okay, I guess the point of it is this. Uh, when they say that their works are earning them their salvation, uh-huh. uh, uh, is there anything in there which says that their works are a result of their faith? Well, they do say faith is the first principle of the gospel. Faith, repentance, baptism. All of those, are, is, it's tacitly understood, occur before the age of eight years of age. You see, and so, and then you go on and you do the works. My suggestion, having been LDS, is I never understood being born again and having the, the operating skills to truly follow God because they don't teach rebirth and regeneration in the sense that you need to become a new man and, and, re, and, and have that experience in order to be able to produce the kind of works God wants. So from my experience, from what I read doctrinally, from what I see in the lives of Mormons, I think that Mormonism preaches that it, one, grace, I mean, salvation is a combination of God's grace and your works. Paul says you can't have grace and works. It's either grace or it's works. And also, I think that um, we see from the Bible, or we see from Mormon teachings, that it's a combination not only of those things, but of Joseph Smith too, and what he taught. So there's all kinds of problems in the, in the woods with them. I see. Does that help? Well, uh, one, one last question before we get off. Um, uh, do you pray to Jesus? I don't. I know, some, I know many people do. I have no problem with people who do. One of my associate pastors, he does all the time. I don't. I, Jesus taught we pray to the Father. I pray to the Father. Uh, well, that's, that's kind of Mormon-like, isn't it? Well, I was one. I, maybe it comes from that. I don't know. I, uh, I, I feel comfortable with that. I think it's biblical. And Jesus taught us to pray to the Father. And so that's what I do. I see. Okay. Okay. Take, answers. take care. Bye, Sean. Bye-bye. Going to get some emails on that one. More Christian commentary about what a heretic I am. All right, let's go to uh, Kenneth, first-time caller in Salt Lake. Kenneth, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, I'm on here. Yes, you are. You're on the air, Kenneth. All right, that's fine. Okay, you need to, you need to talk now because you're on the air. Yeah, that's fine, but he's talking to somebody else. I'm watching it. Okay, don't watch it and talk to me, Kenneth, because... All right, I'm listening. And I'm talking. Okay, what's your question? Are you there, sir? I am. All right, I'm LDS, and uh, I've been LDS since I was about uh, 12 years old. Okay. And my dad and mom, uh, I've got bishops on both sides of me, and uh, my dad and mom says, you don't need to go to church unless you want to, but I wanted to. Uh And I don't think I'm talking to the man that's on television uh, should be running the LDS church down. Why is he picking on them? It's a good church. Okay. And I know it, and I think he's wrong. Kenneth? And, uh, Kenneth. So, uh, Kenneth? I'm doing the best I can. I know you are. Uh, Kenneth? Uh, I disagree with uh, him running the LDS church down because it's a good church, 
and the uh, the Catholic Church is good too. Yeah, Kenneth. Kenneth, Kenneth, you're on the air with the guy on TV. All right, that's fine. Okay, now now let me say something. I know the Mormon Church is a good church. You bet it's a good church. Okay, it's a great church. Yes, sir, I can hear you. Okay, but churches, Kenneth, do not All save right. you. Thank you, sir. What? I just. Uh... Kenneth, we heard your whole. You bet it is, and you should not be running them down, sir. Well, I. What do you base that on, Kenneth? You got to turn your TV off, my friend. Yeah, I'm here. Somebody else is on the other line, I guess. Okay. Well, we got your point, and I appreciate it. And I'm listening I, I, to you. That's what I base it on. You should not be running down the LDS church. Well, if I'm you... I'm an LDS person myself, and you are wrong, mister. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Kenneth, uh... All right. Okay, Kenneth, listen. All right. Okay. Uh, Kenneth... That's right. I'm trying to be nice here. I, I, I run down the LDS church because it's false. I'm sorry. I'm but like, when you have a church, Kenneth, Kenneth, when you have a church that teaches that your salvation is based on yeah, Joseph... I'm sure you are. On Joseph Smith. So, but go ahead. When you have a church that says your salvation is based on the... Good. You should be sorry. It's really good. I don't think he knows he's as good as he is. Kenneth, let's just part ways. Salvation is based on God and Jesus Christ. Well, that's not what your doctrine teaches, my brother. I read to you from your doctrinal pages. Yes, sir. That's not what your doctrine teaches. All right. Have a good night, sir, but uh, you shouldn't just... Uh, you should not be cutting down the LDS church. Okay. Thanks, yeah, Kenneth. Okay. Bye-bye. I respect my elders. I, I, I'm, I realize that I don't always, but I try. Okay. Uh, let's go to uh, uh, Wanda on line three. Wanda, you're on Harlem Matter. Oh, hello. Hello, Wanda. Turn down your TV. Hi. Shut my TV mood off. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? You just made a comment that you said you'd be getting feedback on because you don't pray to Jesus. Well, I'm going to tell you what I do, but I do by choice, and sometimes I don't because I, I'm talking with God personally. But my father, my earthly father, told me to always call him Dad because my father was in heaven, and that's who I should talk to. But then going through churches all my life, I was taught that you pray to God in, in the Son's name. Well, sometimes yeah. I do, but sometimes I just talk to God. So it doesn't matter if you pray to God or you sign it with Jesus' name. I'm glad you're on the air. You're the one that brought me to my church, you know, the Christ of that, that uh, up here. And I, we're, you know, we're jumping from place to place, uh, finding homes for our church before we build a new one. But if not listening to you, we didn't have, we might find doubt once in a while, but you keep making me lift it up knowing I'm in the right place now at the right time. Oh, praise God, Wanda. Listen, I want you to know, I know in the Bible, uh, Stephen, when he was being stoned, he looked up and he, he cried Jesus. I know there's ex examples of people praying to Jesus. 
And I, I don't have, uh, like I said, I'm not dogmatic about it. Uh, sometimes I have, actually, I say I don't pray it, but as a, as a habit, my, my prayers go to my Father in Heaven, Heavenly Father. But I will say, oh, Lord, thinking of Jesus, help me. So, you know, I'm not dogmatic about it. I did, someone just asked that blank question, and that's what I meant. Yeah, I know. Okay, uh, it thanks. It doesn't matter. As long as you're sending your prayers to heaven, from your heart, accepting Christ in your heart, it doesn't matter what you say. God knows what you mean. Amen. Thanks so much, Wanda. Uh, thank you. Okay, bye. We're going to Eddie and Orem. Eddie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hi, Eddie. Hey, I have a question for you. Yes. Um, I am going to therapy, and my therapist, I was talking to him about God, and I had questions, I was confused, and I didn't know what to do. And so he, he's LDS, so he told me, I want you to stop some, uh, some elders and, and talk to them. Okay. And, and ask him about God. And I mean, I've, I've been watching your show for a while. This is the sec second time I call. And I don't know if I should do it because I've never been, I've never really liked the LDS. Yeah. First of all, talking to a therapist about God is like talking to an auto mechanic about baked goods. I mean, they, usually they're not going to give you good advice. Now you're talking to an LDS therapist who is telling you you need to speak to the LDS elders. Uh, the missionaries who uh, have a pre-programmed uh, thing of that, that they're supposed to say and they usually don't deviate too far from that and they certainly do not know LDS history or doctrine. So uh, I am uh, appalled that you have a professional who is talking with you about other issues who's recommending his church elders to come and talk to you. But uh, nevertheless, that's what he's doing. Uh, I would not talk to them unless you're well-founded in the Bible and you know the word well. You're down in the Provo Orem area. What I would do, uh, Eddie, is uh, maybe if you continue to go to your therapist, that's fine. But go to Christ Evangelical Church and sit there for a while. Meet Pastor Scott McKinney and have them kind of talk to you about the Lord and get some footing before you go meet with the elders uh, so that you have some discernment as to what they're saying. All right. Does that help? Uh, oh, sorry. Oh, does that help? Yeah, and I have a second thing. Yes. Uh, earlier you said uh, to ask questions deep inside, right? Yeah. About when we go to uh, God, yeah, uh, offer Him. Yeah. And I looked inside, and honestly, I can't find anything. What can I do? What you do, uh, Eddie, is you then go to the Lord, and you say, Lord, I don't have anything of value when I look at myself to offer you. My life has been a mess. I've sinned like crazy. Uh, whatever your issues have been, you go to him, you confess them, you ask for your forgiveness, and you say, hey, I want to have faith and trust in you. Will you forgive my sins, be the Lord of my life? You turn your life over to him, and then you start going to that Christ Evangelical Church, and you learn about him, and then I would suggest you probably won't need that therapist for very much longer. All right. Well, you want to do that on the air? Have you done it before? Uh, what? Giving your life to the Lord? I did. I was going to a Christian church. Uh huh. And, and uh, honestly, I went back to bed. Okay. And I, I haven't gone back because, I mean, I feel so ashamed because I was doing so good. Okay, Eddie, let me tell you this. Jesus gives a parable of a sower where seeds are cast onto the ground. Some of them fall on places where there's rocks. Some fall on places where there's weak soil. Some fall on places where thorns come up and choke them. But some fall on good ground. 
He also talks about babes in Christ. And what do babies do, Eddie? When you have a baby and you bring it into your room and you, have, uh, and you let it sit there or crawl around, it makes a big mess, doesn't it? All over the place. You are a babe in Christ, Eddie, and you're not expected to be perfect. You committed sins after you were a Christian. Christians do it all the time. It's because they haven't learned yet how to be sanctified through him. But you're, by, by, don't give up. You had faith enough to ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin. He did. Past, present, and future, Eddie. Now go and say, I trust you. You said you would forgive me, Lord, and I'm going to trust that promise. I'm going to trust it. Now help me be a better person, and in time he will. So get back to that Christian church and don't let the dark side say, boy, you've blown it now. It's not based on you, Eddie. It's based on his righteousness. Okay? All right. Thank you very much. Give me faith. Good. Keep going, my brother. You have a great day. Same to you. Bye-bye. We're going to Colby and Logan, first-time caller on the Legendary Line 4. Colby, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how's it going? Good, Colby. How are you? Good. Um, I just wanted to call and just talk about, like, I don't think, like, uh, like religion sh should be something, like, that's just argued and, like, kind of almost played as in, like, sport. You know what I mean? Like, I think it should be more just kind of respected and, like, you know, more of a peaceful type thing. I don't think God meant to, to be arguing about stuff like that. Yeah, I would agree with you. Unfortunately, because we live in a fallen world, and this is the, this is the uh, playground of the fallen world, and people have disagreements. In a perfect world, you're right, it wouldn't happen. God didn't intend for religion to be this ugly thing. But even when Jesus, God in the flesh, was on the earth, he had very big disagreements with people to the point where he called them vipers, to where he called them hypocrites, to where he said they were the, they were the children of the devil. Now, this is God himself arguing with religious rulers of his day. So there is a place in time for people of different faiths to step up and say, we're not going to take that, all right? Now, let me explain one thing to you, if, if I could, Colby. All right, go for it. I do this because the LDS church is publicly going out and they're telling people they're Christian, okay? I believe in the Bible. The Christians have been around for a long time and they know what they believe, billions of them, and they agree on the core essentials. More wait, like... Christianity isn't that just a belief in Christ? It, it isn't just a belief in Christ. I mean, even the devils believe. Christianity is what's embodied in the manual, the manual called the Bible. And it's been around, and people have gone to great lengths to present this Bible to us and to know it. And so we trust what it says. Now, when you have another church that comes in and says, hey, we're Christians too, it's, it's, you have to stand up and say, no, that's not well, right. When you say, like, we worship Joseph Smith, we definitely don't worship him. Okay. I mean, like, definitely there's a respect, but I, he's just a prophet to me. Okay, well... He's uh, not like Jesus or a god. Okay, Colby? No, he's just another person, a good guy. To, to you, and, and I accept what you're saying about what you think of Joseph Smith, but when you have me, people stand up and sing a song that says praise to the man... I got to tell you, in the Christian world, you won't see it happen anywhere. If you do, it is a defunct Christian religion. I mean, it is so antithetical to what the manual says. Man is a worm in the Bible. And, and yet they, they hold him up, even to the point where they say, you have to embrace him for your salvation, Colby. So the Christian, I do, if the LDS church, I've said this on the show before, if they come out and say, we're not Christian, I'll, I'll say, okay, I'm done. Thanks for admitting it. 
but they won't. They're trying to be duplicitous and they use this Christian rhetoric to hook people at the door and people come into their church and they think, wow, what a great place. And pretty soon they're doing rites and rituals and temples and wearing garments that they have to do and getting married and sealed in order to reach the highest degree of heaven. No, that's not Christianity. Jesus brought liberty. He didn't bring bondage. So this is why we fight, my friend. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I don't really know the definition of Christianity, but... I know I'll, how you can find you know, out. So, but just, I, you know, I believe in just Christ, and so I, don't, I just thought Christianity, you know, the belief in Christ. So. Hey, hey, Colby. Yeah. Come up to uh, Utah State. You're in Logan. Come up to Utah State. Yeah, I'm actually on campus, so... Oh, come on over. We're at the Aggie Ice Cream Building on Sunday nights. On Sunday nights? Yes. What? Okay, I really think I'll probably will. Bring your friends, 7 to 8. All right, cool beans. Okay, bye. Bye. All right, we're going to Nina from Springville, first-time caller. Nina, you're on Heart of the Matter. On Sunday night? Nina? Yeah. You're on the air. Bring your friends, 7 to 8. He's still talking to Colby. No, I'm not. You're on a delay, Nina. You're watching the TV. You're on the air with me now. Oh, okay. Yeah, don't even watch that TV. Just listen to my voice. Okay. All right. Um... I just had a question. I'm LDS, first-time uh -huh. caller, uh -huh. and uh, I was just curious as to why um, I believe that when we die that we uh, have a life review, uh -huh. and uh, if we do, uh, why is that important if our works don't matter or what we do doesn't well, matter? Yeah, your life review, I would agree with you. The Bible agrees with that, and we will be judged according to our works. That is true. But the judgment is based on the works you did that were gold and silver, meaning the motivation for those works came from your love for God. And they'll be tried by fire. And those works that, that last because of your love for him and not because you're trying to earn salvation or impress people or whatever else is included in why we do some things, those works will be laid on, a, on an altar and they'll be tried by fire. And those things which are no good will burn. What remains will be given to you as a crown. And now people get a little nervous with this teaching, but it is biblical. But we also know that most from Revelation that people will take those crowns and throw them at Jesus' feet. So you're, you will be rewarded based on what you did with the faith that you accepted and received. That is true. But it has nothing to do with you getting into the party in the first place. The LDS teach that you've got to do these works and these ordinances and these things all your life faithfully or else you're not going to even get an invitation to the party. That is categorically false. And it's what separates them from Christianity in a mo one of the most major ways. Okay, that makes sense. I appreciate that. You're, you're welcome. Thanks for calling. You're welcome. Okay, Nina, bye. Bye. All right, we're going to Glenn in Plain City. Uh, first time caller, Glenn, you're on Heart of the Matter. John. Yes. Hey, this is Glenn. How are you? Hey, Glenn, I'm fine. How are you? Good. Hey, I just wanted to plug your book, first of all, for those people who are LDS and are sitting on the fence. Awesome. That, uh, they probably need to read your book. And another book that they need to read is uh, A Friendly Discretion, Mormonism Pro and Con by Ed Bliss. Okay. Uh, two excellent books to read, and uh, thanks to my son and daughter, uh, my wife and I were born again. Oh, praise God. When did that happen? Well, you was the one that baptized us, Sean. Uh, oh. <laughs> when we, we, when we uh, had the get-together at the park. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'm really glad you called. 
Well, I just wanted to plug your book, and uh, I appreciate everything you do. I really appreciate it, Glenn. Thank you so much. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Jason in Sumter, South Carolina. He says, first-time caller. I think I recognize the name. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How are you doing tonight? Doing well. How are you? Oh, man, I'm doing all right. Couldn't be better. All right. So what's happening? Uh, well, nothing much. Actually, I have a question, and I also have a, uh, two questions. I'll make them quick. Uh, okay. The first one is I was discussing, uh, having some doctrine discussing with someone like, very close to me. And, uh, of course, I was born and raised LDS, and he's LDS. And he brought up pre-existence when Jesus was talking about, the you know, they walked by the blind man, and, and the disciples asked him, you know, Lord, who was, was did this man's parents sin? Did he sin, you know, to cause him to be born blind? Yeah. And uh, my, this person used this as a evidence uh, that there was a pre-existence. Yeah. And he got me on that. He stumped me. <laughs> and is there an answer? There is. It's a good one. Uh, the Greeks uh, believed in a doctrine or uh, a false belief called the transmigration of souls. And what they believed was that there was a pre-existence. It's a, it's a sheer Greek thought of pre-existence. It was taught by uh, uh, Plato and some other uh, Greek philosophers 400 years before Christ was born. And so this idea of, of pre-existence crept into the heresies of some of the early believers. And when they, asked, when they asked Jesus, did this man sin or did his parents that he was born blind, Jesus clears it up really quickly. He, he, this was a heresy that crept in and he simply says, neither this man sinned nor his parents. And he was born blind to glorify the glory of God. In addition to that clearing up the idea, the errant idea of transmigration of souls, Jesus also tells the Pharisees, I'm from above, you're from beneath. You know, we have no, we have no connection here. Uh, and we also have in, in 1 Corinthians, I believe, where it talks about everything was created physically first and then spiritually. So you have those verses to back up in addition to many others. In fact, if we could sit down, I get my Bible out. As I've gone through, I pick out these different instances where it's clear that we did not come from a pre-existent state. But those three are some things I would use to respond to him. Right. Well, that's excellent. Um, I kind of thought that I had some commentary in my Bible. I didn't have it right at handy at the time. which is, It's always embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But I knew, I knew that, that that wasn't correct because, I mean, Jesus was, you know, this man was born blind, you know, uh, the way I take it, that, you know, this was, he was born blind to, to show the glory of God through Christ, you know. Absolutely, and that's what Jesus said. Hey, really appreciate it, Jason. Also, one more question. The, um, have you read the book, Today's Mormonism? No. Who wrote it? I don't have the author. I, I just, I bought it in a store and I started reading into it, but it was more, kind of, Today's Mormonism, I think, is the name of the book. I was just wondering if maybe... Uh, if you have a chance, uh, email me with the author's title. I'll email you back. All right, man. God bless you. God bless you, Jason. Thanks. Bye-bye. Right. We're down to 15 seconds. Next week, we're going to cover the LDS General Conference held here October of 2008, and we're going to go and uh, see what they had to say over there at the big granite dome. So God bless you. Keep searching for the Lord. Turn your life over to Him. See you next week. my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my
Break my rusty cage. 